Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, we've got Labour Party Councillor Pamana Assad, former Brexit Party MEP and CEO of First Property Group Ben Habib and columnist at The Article and founder of the Contrarian Prize, Ali Mirage. Good evening to you three. Uh, you know the drill as well, don't you, on this show? It's not just about us here, it's about you at home as well. What's on your mind tonight? You can get in touch with me on email gbviews at gbnews.uk or you can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Don't forget, if you have not already, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can download our app, uh, the radio, DAB+, pretty much wherever you are, we're following you. We're there. And if you're sitting there, it's Friday night. If you're thinking, shall I watch Jubes or shall I go to the pub or shall I do whatever? Do it both. Take, take me with you. Get me on the radio. Get me on your app. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching or listening, you're very, very welcome tonight. Now let's get into the top story, shall we? The by-elections, you know, how could I start with anything but? What do you think to this? Uh, are you someone that's like proper into following these by-elections, scrutinising them, going, right, this is the end for the Tories? Are you someone that's very excited by the results? Or are you someone that just sits at home saying, so what? I'm fascinated on that first point. Let me know. Is this something that you even care about? Is it just political types that are into this? Uh, because lots have been uh, made of the results today. So many people saying this is the beginning of the end, whether it's the beginning of the end of the Tories or just Boris Johnson or what. Boris Johnson is saying that the government needs to listen and learn to the British people. Uh, shouldn't you have been doing that though all along? Isn't that kind of like your job? I speak, of course, though, about the losses in Wakefield and Tiverton and Honiton. But where do we stand with this? I'll pick up with you first, Ali Mirage. Um, I've asked my audience, first question, whether or not they're into this story. Is it a big deal to them or not? I'll pause for their thoughts. I'm sure they will tell me. Uh, where do you sit on it all? Well, I find it fascinating, but hardly surprising. Mm. Uh, three weeks ago, uh, when there was a confidence vote in the Prime Minister and 148 of his own colleagues voted against him, I don't think there were many, very many of them who would have thought that they would have won either of these by-elections that have taken place, Tiverton and Honiton and Wakefield. If you look at Tiverton and Honiton for a second... This is a seat with it, which had a 24,000 Tory majority. This is the kind of seat, Michelle, where they could put a teddy bear with a blue rosette on, <laughs> right, and they would still weigh the vote. This is a seismic <laughs> defeat for the party. And the reality is, it is because people have lost faith in the Prime Minister and they feel that they've been taken for fools. That is the reason why. Now, the is party it... is now saying it's going to unite. Unite around what? But hang on, let me ask you, how do you know that the reason that these elections have gone the way that they've gone is wholly and exclusively because people have had enough, say, of Boris Johnson or of the Tories? Well, Pimana's going to answer. I'm not going to steal Pimana's thunder, but there's a, there's a poll out. But you don't have to be oh, a rocket oh. scientist. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that it might have just slightly influenced the vote. I mean, you can speak to people on the ground. Uh, and, I and a lot of people are by the way, that it slightly influenced the vote. But I think too many people are making too much of this because uh, Pamana, for example, I think there were very clever campaigns around tactical voting going on in these two by-elections uh, to s present the outcome in the way that we've seen it presented. So, yes, of course, people will be a little bit fed up with Boris and or the Tories, but I don't sit here today thinking, core, blimey, look at these results, that's the end uh, for Boris Johnson. I'm not sitting here singing farewell to him. Am I wrong? 
I mean, I don't know uh, that much about tactical voting. I mean, in 2019, it didn't really work out that well for the Labour Party or for other parties. I mean, the, the Tories won an 80-seat majority. Let's remember why we have these by-elections in the first place. In Wakefield, we had the Tory MP who <clears throat> sexually assaulted a child. <laughs> in Tiverton and, and Horrington, we had a Tory MP who watched tractor porn. So these are the reasons why we had those by-elections in the first place. Um, I think that we, you know, coming back to Ali's point on why people voted the way that they did, um, JNL Partners actually did a poll um, asking voters on why they voted against the Tories in both Wakefield and in Tiverton. And they said, more than 40% said, that the reason they voted against the Tories was that Boris Johnson tried to cover up Partygate and that he lied to the public. That was the biggest reason that they said that they voted against the Tories. Now, I think that means that people clearly don't see themselves within the Conservative Party or represented by individuals who try to represent the Conservative Party. I mean, Party. it's 40% I mean, a minority of people. I mean, quite still, that. that's quite a lot. I mean, overturning a 24K majority, the biggest ever majority to be overturned in British it's, history. That's not, it's no, huge. It's not it's the biggest huge. ever majority. I did a bit of research today. I was clearly a little bit bored, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> I keep hearing... Or you wanted just to prove us wrong. No, because I keep hearing this start, say, oh, this is the biggest majority overturned and all the rest of it. And I am a little bit curious about these things. I think people make these broad statements, you know, and we should look to see whether or not it's true because it is being peddled out. So what did you just tell me was the biggest by-election overturning? You tell me. 24,000. Right. Tiverton and Horrington. Let's do it on a percentage basin. Look at this. So you've got a 44%. And I grant you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going back in time a little bit, but so what? If you can't oh, do that on your own show, when can you? <laughs> 44%, 44 44.2% at 1983 Bermondsey by-election from Labour to Lib Dems. We had a 44.1% uh, swing Clacton by-election in 2014. So this, We're talking about the absolute number the, of votes, Michelle. I mean, it's still flipping big. Come yeah, on, let's get real. Huge. I mean, We're I trying to overturn 24,000. Tiverton and Honiton were two separate constituencies created in 1885. They have both been exclusively conservative ever since, with the exception of one year in 1920 when Tiverton went, I think, liberal to the Liberals. Um, this, is, this is seismic. It doesn't matter whether it happened through tactical voting or not. If tactical voting was used so effectively here, it would be used very effectively in the general election. And by the way, it was used in the 2019 it election was, very effectively. I don't think it was that effective. It was though. very effective because the Brexit party was bullied into standing down. Oh. And we gave Boris Johnson his 80-seat majority. So those who complain about Boris Johnson actually ought to look at me on this panel and collectively blame me for part of it. Um, so I should be beating myself up. But no, th this is a very big... It went Change the other way, happened. by the way, because yeah. I stood, as you'll know, as well in 2019. So you're saying that you could be blamed for putting him in. Uh, places like where I sat, we split the Brexit vote and actually Labour got in by default because the Brexit uh, voters couldn't decide, do I go Tory or do I yeah, go Yeah, but we stood down in 317 Tory seats returning. Something that was a, a, absolutely... A, 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 you know, very difficult for me to grasp, was returning 134 Remain voting MPs. We're getting off topic here. <laughs> but, um, you know, in many respects, we've got a broken parliament because we've still got 134 Remain voting MPs who hanker after the EU sitting in the Commons on the government benches. And, um, uh, but, but I think, j just coming back to your opening point, Michelle, this is no longer just about Boris Johnson. I think six months ago, this was about Boris Johnson when it first raised its head. 
This is now about the Conservative Party. And I, I think the reason Oliver Dowden resigned this morning is because he could see that this had, this had now morphed into something much bigger. Um, Boris Johnson could have stopped this by resigning earlier on, but the whole party is now infected. The whole party is guilty of supporting him. And there's less than two years to now go yeah, before yeah, the yeah, next... Ben, look, to be fair, look, 148 people within the Conservative Party on the backbench had the guts to stand up in that confidence vote and say, we're not having this nonsense. The reality is, what does this mean for Boris Johnson and the party? Well, Boris Johnson's not going anywhere. Yeah. We know that he's shameless. He's the greasy piglet that runs free to open ground. And he's not going to go anywhere. Unless the, the 1922 committee changed the rules, which is highly unlikely, by the way. It's not going to be a straightforward thing to do. We now hear ministers coming together saying we must unite. The party can't unite because on the cost of living issues because they're all over the place. Some of them, some factions want tax cuts. Others uh, want to go down the Rishi Sunak road of uh, the fiscal position. That and others want there. to rejoin the single market. It's a, it's think, a complete mishmash. At the it moment. is. But, it, but, but what is clear that's what is, I mean. It's a conservative party issue. You're, you're right. But yeah. what is clear is that Boris Johnson, I think, is damaging democracy. But, but Labour has still not sealed the deal with the electorate. If they had changed the leader, I think the Tories could have done At the moment, for me, they're heading towards a Labour minority government. I think Keir is now safe. I think this was a huge test for him to show that actually the changes that he's brought internally in the party are actually working. We're now united. We're facing the challenge of trying to win back the trust of voters. And Wakefield shows us that, that we've been able to do that. You know, it shows that Labour has standing in the red wall still. We haven't lost the battle yet. And we're, we're going to win back power. And the I money's really, hardly inspiring. It will be, really it will be inspiring. Come on. incredibly hopeful. But right you lost, you lost your deposit in Tiverton and Honiton. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know. but I mean, we were third. We were third yeah, but, but, so. uh, but that plays to what Ali's saying, that it's going to be, a, a, if, if, you, if you win, it'll be a minority Labour government in coalition with the Liberal Democrats. And that went really well with the Liberal Democrats in coalition last time, didn't but it? But the bigger <laughs> issue, Ben, on that is it'll be a minority coalition government with the SNP which will demand a referendum on independence, yeah. and that's where it will go. But so be it. At the moment, I cannot see the Tories winning the next election on this trajectory right now. No. They've got massive issues to, uh, to deal with, but I'm just, I don't think the electorate is in any way sold on the Labour Party. They just not have, no. they, they have not sealed the deal, nor have they painted a grand vision Nobody for Nobody said that the work was over. This is just the start. Well, we this even is the beginning. This, this is guy. the beginning. This is the beginning. And what Keir comes out with now, we should all watch. And I think that this will show us the, what the Labour Party can the, do. But why, what's he going to come out with now that, is, that he's not been able to come out with previously? What's well, I think this, sho this shows that he's got the leadership skills. He's able to unite the party and put out, bring, bring people Demana. together to actually push forward policies so you're that people me. can... There are no yeah. policies. What well, are Labour policies? Living, yes. <laughs> what are Labour policies? Well, we, you take a Tory policy. Take ben, a Tory ben, no, no, they have policies. Tax yeah. cuts. You like oh, tax cuts. Yeah. Labour is promoting tax. tax cuts. I know. I mean, well, that says more about the Conservative Party than does the <laughs> Labour Party, doesn't it? But I find what you say quite interesting, that now that you've won a by-election, you are, you wait and see, ladies and gentlemen, you wait and see what Keir Starmer comes out with now. Because it's in the red wall, that's yes, why, but, Michelle. Yes, but if you're and, a true and there leader, was so much, there was so much against us in the press, everyone saying, oh, Labour's lost it, Labour's finished. Well, actually, this actually shows us we can win back the trust of people but if you're, just by talking to them. Leadership isn't kind of being galvanised when something goes well. Leadership is picking yourself up from the doldrums, galvanising people, motivating people, and steering them through when things are going badly. If you're telling um, me, I think that's what do, we're doing. I think that's what we're doing. You've just said to me, you wait and see what Keir Starmer's got because presumably you think he's galvanised by this win. My yes. fact to that is, if you're a true leader, 
You don't need a win to galvanise yourself. You're galvanising yourself beforehand. He has galvanised people right now, specifically within the Labour Party. He's united us. We've gone through so many changes in the last United, United. United. give me a break. Diana, come on, Diana, but Richard Bergen, give me a break. I mean, the biggest thing that Keir Starmer's got going for him is he's not Jeremy Corbyn. There's a lot of negativity on this panel. No, there's no negativity. No, we're all united. We've won a by-election. But no, I mean, what I love when you say you're united, because it was only a couple of days ago you had Keir Starmer telling uh, everyone don't be on no picket lines, don't want no picket lines. 20-odd people there, they I are didn't help see anything official on the picket on lines. I mean, if that's United, I'd hate to see you... I didn't uh... see anything official from him on that, so... <laughs> well, there you go. You're saying it's a, you're saying that was a, what open to interpretation, perhaps? Yes, very much so. Peter says, Michelle, I still like Boris and I still support him and all you've got to do is look at social media and there is a lot of people like me. Mike says, come on, Michelle... This is just a midterm slap across the face for Boris. Millions of ex-Labour like myself would never vote the Labour Party uh, back into office. Mike, but Pimana is saying that this is the moment uh, Kia is united and galvanised and this is the one. So, Mike, tell Pimana why you wouldn't, if you were ex-Labour, why wouldn't you go back to Labour? Mark says Boris was the man to get things done on a massive majority um, basically, what he's saying is that this is a witch hunt for Boris. You've had uh, COVID, you've had pandemic. Uh, well, COVID is the pandemic, but you've had the war now that you've got in Ukraine. So the stacks. But what? So Putin declared war on Ukraine in order to oust Boris. Is that the argument being made? No, what they're saying is <laughs> Boris hasn't had a good enough time to shine because what I he's think... He's had masses of opportunities. Well, Ukraine, is, Ukraine oh, has, his, has uh, been if his anything, time to shine. Yeah, that yeah, has exactly, given him... True. They love him in Ukraine. Him. They love him yeah. in Ukraine. That's actually helped. You know, ultimately, and we're only beginning to see the, the beginnings of it, ultimately we're, the Conservative Party is going to be judged on the economy. And the economy is sliding very, very fast. Last time I was on this programme, I was much more optimistic about the trajectory of the British economy than I am now. What we're seeing is a resurgence of 1970s economic modelling and consequences. And that's why we've got rail strikes. That's why we're going to have British Airways on strike. That's why we're going to have teachers on strike. That's why the NHS will soon be on strike. And when all that happens... It will be virtually impossible for the Conservatives to hang on to power. They need to pivot. They need to change their attitude to government instantly. They've got to stop being this large interfering state. They need to deregulate. They need to jettison this £1.4 trillion drive towards net zero, which hits the working class and middle classes harder than anyone else. And they need to cut taxes on the working class and middle classes. They need to cut VAT. They need to cut national insurance. They need to cut business rates. These are the things they have to do. They could do it virtually instantly. Ben, 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 They're not ben, ben, do it. ben, what about the fiscal position? What about the That's 400 billion we well, spent in COVID? Yeah. Where's the money coming from? Well, going to mortgage know, our and, children's and, and, the, and the tragedy here, the tragedy here is that the money, the magic money tree that they used to, 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 to finance their furlough schemes and so on was open then. It's now closed. But they have to cut taxes and deregulate. If they don't do it, they are going to hit the buffers. It's a slow train. It's not even a very slow train crash. It's happening. And, and, and you know, it was Boris six months ago, but it is now the Conservative Party and they need to get ahead of this problem. And Oliver Dowden falling on his sword, I think, is the first sign of the party taking responsibility for the state of the country. Well, it's one person taking responsibility, yeah. frankly. Before the, he was the party beginning the right party. to... Yeah, before yeah. he was yeah. sacked, right. they, would have, they would have had a scapegoat. He probably would have been fired anyway. He's done the decent thing, but frankly, he could have done it a long time ago. Every time a cabinet minister in recent months has gone out to defend the indefensible, 
frankly, it diminishes them. And it dim diminishes the reputation of the Conservative Party that doesn't believe in standards in public life. No one thought that Boris Johnson was a paragon of virtue when he got elected. He is the Heineken politician. He won two terms as mayor, as mayor of London. He won an 80-seat majority. Got Brexit done, all of that stuff. He didn't he, get Brexit done. I don't think Brexit is done. <laughs> he got it over the line. Yeah. Uh, he's a vote winner. However, the behaviour that's taken place where people think it's one rule for these people and one another rule Absolutely for right. has, has really yeah. diminished standards Absolutely. in public life. And I worry about that. Uh, so I agree. And as Pamana yeah. opened with, you know, the reason we're having these by-elections is because one guy was convicted for assaulting an under underage boy, yeah. and, and another was watching pornography in Parliament. But you, know, I mean, you know, Ben, if you go back, and sorry, Pamana, as well, if you go back to where this nonsense all started, it started last year in October with Owen Patterson about second jobs and about conflicts of interest and the fact that he was reprimanded by the Parliamentary Commissioner on Standards and the Tory party were trying to change the rules to not have him expelled from Parliament. That's where this rot started. It resulted in him resigning the North Shropshire by-election where they got annihilated. 22,000 majority in December in a by-election, again, to the Lib Dems. That's where the rot started. In October last year, at the Tory party conference, Boris Johnson could walk on water. Within a few months, look at where we are now. Because uh, can I just ask you all a really simple question, something that uh, I can't help but ponder? I'm listening to you all. Apparently, um, you know, I'm in the wrong. and Because I, I, I actually don't think that this by-election paints the picture that you guys are telling me that it does. Um, so let me ask you all, if everyone's so anti-Boris, if everyone's had enough of the Tories, how come over 60% of people, say in Wakefield, didn't even bother voting then? If everyone's so furious and livid and all this and all that and all the other... The turnout won't even 40%. Yeah, because there's a dearth of leadership, frankly, at the yeah, moment, I, on all sides. I think they're being underserved. Pe and, and people are sick of the political, political yeah. classes. I, I'm sick of the political... I'm unlikely to vote at the next general election. You probably think that's a stupid waste of my vote. But who no, do I, I vote for? You know, the, the Conservatives don't stand for what I believe the Conservatives should stand for. The Labour Party is daft as brushes, forgive me. And the Liberal Democrats <laughs> sit in the middle and, you know, and don't achieve a lot. So I, I probably won't vote at the next election. But the other thing, you know, the other thing to bear in mind is that this is a party that has had 12 years in office and you have to look at their record. GDP growth in 12 years has been 8%. In wage growth has been 5%. Inflation has been, ex excluding the, the, the recent spike, inflation has been 25%. You've had a shrinkage in real wages of around 20 to 30%, depending on how you, how you judge the recent spike. You're bound to get stresses in the working class. You know, if you talk about levelling up, you can't level up by diminishing people's real wages by 30%. That's going to cause civil unrest. And that's where we're heading. We're back to the 1970s. And it's not Mick Lynch who took us back to the 1970s. It's the Conservative government's management of the economy that's taken us back there. I think that what we need to understand and what the Conservatives need to understand is that, you know, all these cases, these by-elections came about because there was a Tory MP who sexually assaulted a child, another Tory MP who watched tractor porn. There are so many other issues going on in Parliament with some of these MPs. Boris Johnson, you know, 40% of voters saying that the reason why they didn't vote for the Tories was because Boris Johnson tried to cover up Partygate and he lied to the public. There is this understanding within the public that if you set the rules and then you don't follow them yourself, people are not going to like yeah, that. But and I, I think, think that, that, is, that is the bottom line. Whilst and people should understand that. Whilst I don't condone the, frankly, weird... Uh, an inexcusable behaviour of looking at pornography in the middle of your workplace, especially not when it's the House Commons. Lest we forget 
that these people were clearly, you know, they were up to no good as individuals. And that happened as cross-party. There are multiple people that have been kicked out of the parties or had to trigger by-elections, for example, for their kind of behaviour. I'm thinking about things like threatening to throw acid in people's faces, etc. So I think that we do need to be careful that we disassociate an individual and extrapolate that up into somehow and look at what that party is. Because you can have wrong-uns on all sides of the fence, and that is as them as an individual and not a collective of a party. But, yeah, but that, that's, you're absolutely right, Michelle, you can... But what the Conservative Party at the moment, what the government lacks is a coherent narrative. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. It is really, really difficult. They've had a terrible time with COVID. They've done their best. They spent a lot of money on that, 400 billion. Now they're facing rising inflation and a low growth and potentially heading towards a recession. So it's not easy. No one's saying this is easy, but there is no coherent narrative. When Osborne and Cameron came in after the financial crisis and had to do austerity, people didn't like it, but at least they knew the direction of travel. We don't know what the direction of travel is with the government at the moment. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. A quick reminder as to who is keeping me company tonight, Pamela Assad, who's a Labour Party councillor, former Brexit Party MEP and CEO of First Property Group, Ben Habib, and a columnist at The Article and founder of The Contrarian Prize, Ali Mirage. Good evening to you three. Now, one of the key election promises of this government was to put more bobbies on the beat. 20,000 more, in fact. But uh, adverts like this one for the Met Police have been criticised. Apparently, they're not uh, very realistic. Uh, they're not basically showing the job as it is. Let's have a look. I've just seen someone abandon their car and run off. That looks quite concerning. Most people only see on screen. Search Met Police Careers. Just give me a minute. I'm just uh, searching Met Police Careers because that advert had me, didn't it have you? How exciting. <laughs> Was you sitting at home then thinking, yes, that is for me, sign me up. Well, as I said, it's been criticised because apparently the job is nothing like that. Uh, who shall I start with on this? Pama no, I'll start with you actually, Ben. Uh, the police. So apparently we're on track for the recruitment. We're getting the numbers that we need, which is quite peculiar, by the way, because we seem to have cut a lot uh, beforehand. Is this what we need? Are we going in the right direction? Is it more bobbies on the beat or what? Well, we clearly do need more bobbies on the beat. But if we're talking about, and I, I don't want to have another go at the Conservative Party, but if we're talking about promises they've made in 12 years in government, you know, they broke their manifesto pledge on national insurance uh, not being increased. They haven't delivered the 40 hospitals they said they would deliver. Uh, the NHS is in a worse state than it was when they took office. Um, the list goes on and on and on. And yes, they did cut back in the first 10 years of government. They did cut back on the number of policemen uh, uh, on the beat. And they do need to, you know, ramp that up. Um, and... I'm afraid, you know, Sadiq Khan, we're, we're talking about the Metropolitan Police, Sadiq Khan bears quite a lot of responsibility. You know, he's talked against stop and search. He has, um, he's sort of inc incited racial division in the way that he's discussed the police in the past. And these kind of things need to be addressed as well. So the answer is, absolutely, we need more police on the beat, but we need the Conservative Party, I sound like a broken record, we need the Conservative Party to deliver on a whole array of promises that they've made and have yet to fulfil. Ali? 
1% of alleged rapes resulting in a charge, 1 in 20 violent crimes resulting in a charge, 170,000 uh, uh, sexual offences, the highest on record, half of all burglaries not even being bothered to be investigated, and the police are spending quite a lot of their time policing people's thought. I don't think it's just about Bobby's on the beat. I think it's about police priorities and about getting a grip and getting real and being backed by the justice system to deliver for people and to actually follow through. Now, there is a resourcing problem. I think the, the Conservative Party, the government's right to work on getting more bobbies on the street. I think that's absolutely uh, critical, but it's not the only factor. There have been lots of policing mishaps. You look at the inquiry into the death of Daniel Morgan. You look at the policing of the Sarah Everard vigil. You look at all sorts of issues uh, going on in the police. Police and the community have two halves of the same walnut. You need, both sides need to trust and respect each other and I think that policing at the moment is really not doing its job. I think it's focused on some of the wrong things. And I'm a big supporter of the police. I'm not a defund the police kind of guy. I think we absolutely should respect the police, support them. But I also think they also need to play their part of the bargain and not be policing and wasting time policing people's thought. Yeah, I mean, I do want to defend the police a little bit. I mean, because some of the stats that you've just come out there, you're talking about conviction rates for um, rapes and things yeah. like that. You know, some of this is down to things like the CPS, not purely down to the police. True. And yeah, when you say rape, system. when you say rape, um, it's very difficult because often in that case of a rape, if I was to say, for example, um, Ali raped me, um, it's very difficult if there's only two people I agree with you. that are present at that time to prove kind of what went on and what didn't go on. So sometimes when we do talk about those stats, I absolutely want sexual assaults to be taken seriously. Yeah. But they are also quite hard crimes, often, not always, to prove and prosecute. Yeah but, yeah, but I'll give you one example. My car got stolen from behind my house in London. The one time I parked it behind my house, it got stolen. Uh, and um, uh, basically, uh, you've got a situation where you get a crime reference number straight away mm. uh, and you don't get anything. And in and fact, and in fact the, people who, the people who stole the car had the audacity to go and get a parking ticket. And I got a picture of where they were. And I said to the police, look, can we get some CCTV? They even got a parking ticket. They said, yeah, yeah, go and look at the footage. For, go through all the footage for hours yourself. Come to us and then if there's enough evidence. Look, it's not my job to do that. Yeah. Right? Mm, Quite right. So I think I'm going to come to this from a community perspective as a local councillor. Um, we've seen the impact of the cuts to the police over the last 10, 12 years. Um, and it's had a detrimental effect on how people trust the police and the confidence in police doing their job. So, you know, I led a campaign in South Harrow to try and save South Harrow Police Station. I am not one to uh, campaign for defund the police. I think that we need um, police on the streets um, to keep people safe, but also to tackle the everyday crimes and assaults that, that we see. Um, you know, 20,000 police cuts, and now the government are saying they want to recruit um, that, that same number again. Um, in, in 2016, when Sadiq Khan actually came into being mayor of London, he actually helped us save the police station in South Harrow through that campaign that we run. I think that what Sadiq is doing is trying to ask for accountability and transparency. So I completely disagree with what you're saying. I think those aggravated community tensions relate to some of the things that police are doing. You know, I wholeheartedly support the police and I want them to have the resources and the ability to actually do their job. You know, catalytic converter theft, for example, is a huge thing going on in northwest London and nobody is talking about it. You know, people are getting their catalytic converter theft stolen and they're getting assaulted, they're getting, you know, beaten and hit in front, right in front of their homes. And the police aren't able to deal with this effectively because they tell me all the time, we don't have the resources, we don't have the ability because of the cuts. But then isn't it a case of um, priorities? Because if we're saying that we're on track to get 20,000 um, officers, obviously that's going to be disseminated across the, the country, so God only knows how many each force will end up with. 
But even if you get more bodies, you've still got to prioritise where do we allocate our resources to. So you say that the things like catalytic uh, converters, etc. I don't know, would more people automatically fix what you're saying? So, so the way that the police prioritise the, the, the crimes that they deal with is by the number of reports they receive. So if people don't trust the police, don't feel like the police are actually going to go and you know, find the criminals and actually investigate the crime, they usually don't report from what I experience within my own community. But I don't understand Harrow. that. How do you prioritise based on just on volume? Because if you've got 50 shoplifters and one murderer, you're not going to say, well, I'll prioritise the 50 and ignore the one. You're going to well, do it on severity of crime. Well, definitely, I, I believe they do do that. But most of the time, from what I've been told by the police, they do it based on the reports that they get. And that actually helps them prioritise to see where, you know, the biggest crimes are coming from and how they should prioritise resources towards it. Well, that probably explains um, Ali's point, then. If you're saying that they're spending way too much time policing basically offence, people being yeah. upset because someone said something... If what you're saying is that volumes help dictate the priorities and where the focus is, well, then I'm not surprised that things like what you're saying are happening because everyone's upset by everything these days. So I'm not surprised that they're contacting the police to complain about things like that. Mm. Um, I do feel sorry for the police, though. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I wouldn't be a police officer for love and money. But why, why do you feel sorry for them? Because I just think that all too often they get a bad uh, rep and I think, again, like, there'll be wrong'uns everywhere. There's wrong'uns walking among us, irrespective of what industry we're in. But I just think that if you're a police officer, I think that you put your life on the line. Yes, sure. That's it's true. all well and good to sit here in the comfort of a TV studio pontificating about this, that and the other. But these are men and women with families, often with children. They run towards the face of uh, danger. They often don't even know what they're about to be confronted with. And they take real risks in their own life and often yeah, but I, I, I don't hear that, much praise. I don't think Ali's having a go at the individual Bobby. I think what Ali's no, having a go at... Yeah, no, but I'm you're making a general, general... Yeah, No, no, but I think it's a, it's a leadership issue, isn't it? It's because they're being... They're, whatever their systems are, whether it's the number of complaints or mm. the chief commissioner that's giving them instructions, they're following the wrong path. You know, why are panda cars being repainted in LGBTQ plus colours? How does that help them police? They're not out there to make political statements. They're not advocates for diversity in society. They're, they should be simple um, people who go out there and enforce the law. That no, is I it. I disagree. I think those kinds of things actually help build trust. How? Well, build trust because they look inclusive. But that's the where, police, but that's where Sadi gets it wrong. That's where Sadi gets it wrong. But here's the thing. I think those things can happen at the same time as the other things. Why, why so does Sadi have to sacrifice this Why does Sadi bang the drum saying you've got to have 40% of the police force has to be from minority because ethnic origin? Because it helps police communities. But that is racist. No, but that is discrimination. Is. here's the thing. If you go and talk to people in my community, they might feel more comfortable to talk to someone, especially the black people in my community, the black young children in my community, they will feel more comfortable talking to a black police officer than they will... But what you're, advo you're, you're, you're no, advocating, you're advocating soft not, apartheid. No, no, I'm not That's what's happening. No, you're being That's, extreme. I'm you're not being extreme. Yes, you are. You should be yes, blind to colour. You should be blind to colour. Unfortunately... talking over each other one at a time. The reality of the world is more complex than that, Habib. No, it's not Ben. You can call me Ben. It's all right. The reality of the world is more complex than that. Unfortunately, we've seen incidents in our community where people have been stopped and searched for the wrong reasons and they feel that that is racially motivated that's why they feel they'd be able to speak to a police officer on their own level on their own understanding if they 
come from the community that they come from because they might understand what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, but And I think that yes. that is really important to understand. Yeah. It's about feelings, not I, always yeah, about but, yeah, look, Sorry, on yeah. stop and search, right? I think we've got to get real on stop and search. Stop and search should be conducted with respect and dignity yeah. and in a yes. polite way, yes. but it's very important because the very same young black kids who are being targeted with knife crime and dying on the streets, okay, should not be sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. Absolutely And by right. the way, I've been stopped by the police many times. Um, I've been stopped by the police. In my car. In all occasions, Good. they've dealt with me... Cur- a bit dodgy, I've got to say. <laughs> so I'm exactly. doing the job. All times they've dealt with me with courtesy, apart from one, where a late, literally the police officer grabbed me, uh, hit me by the lapel and said, don't touch at me, you're not black, so don't try to pretend to be. And I was shocked. <laughs> Whoa. And I was, no, 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 exactly, exactly. And I thought to myself, Thanks. this is the first time I've actually said what happened, by the way. And so, you know, if that police officer's watching, I mean, honestly, it's disgraceful. And the only reason I didn't take it up and, and go further with it, because I needed to get home that night and I yeah. couldn't be bothered. But the fact is that that kind of abuse of power is absolutely outrageous. Of course. And you're right, there are wrong-uns, but, but my majority experience with the police has always been courteous and good, and I applaud them for that, and they should be supported. But there is a leadership politicisation of the police, and that has to absolutely. stop. That um, has to and stop. And what you say, um, Pamela, when you say it, Ben's talking about um, cars being painted in LGBTQ+, plus whatever it is, uh, colours and you're saying well it drives inclusivity I don't think it does I think it drives ridicule I think if you've got a serious goings on to the point where you've had to dial 999 and a police officer rocks up with a, a car dressed in a rainbow I would expect glitter to be coming out the exhaust <laughs> and some kind of music to be coming out and it's squirting flowers but you guys are acting like it's one or the other I think it can be both I think you can no, have a, a police car should look like a police, police car. car and you can also have a have police investigating really serious crimes and doing their job I, I I think it comes down to respect I mean coming back to stop and search you know most young people that that I speak to in my community feel like they do, they aren't afforded that respect, which is why they feel targeted. And I think that's why it's really important to have people from the community recruited within uh, the police force to actually be able to communicate with them on their in their language, in their in, in the way that they understand. Yeah, but I don't to, think it works, Primon, necessarily, because they're think... regarded as sellouts. Sorry? If they do that, they're regarded it, as sellouts. That's true. That's also true. Right. But, so it's not straightforward. But I think it's you know that's it's going to take time and it's and it's going to be difficult. But we do need we do need that in the police. But don't you think a police officer is supposed to be a, a position of authority and not your mate? So when you say, oh, you Absolutely. know... Absolutely. I'm not saying they should be friends. Like you, I'm not saying they should like you, talk like you. But what I'm saying is that, that. It, will, but it, but it makes them feel more comfortable. You should That's go speak. I will invite you guys I will invite you guys to my community. Come on and give me a break, honestly. If you want to... make me feel more comfable if a person of... Police officer of Pakistani origin. Truth. That's I, just I like the truth, that. That's great. I'm poised with my hammer. If you want to get rid of institutionalized racism, you have to advocate being blind to color, ethnicity, religion. That doesn't um, work. You have to. That, that is work. the only basis on it's which not you can work like that. Unfortunately, but if you, but the, the minute the world is different, the, no, that's no, what you're saying is something. No, Pamana, what you're saying is some tinkering is fine if it suits that community, other tinkering isn't. And that is the thin end of, no, of, of discrimination is, and racism. No, it's not discrimination. It's it is discrimination. It's just affording them respect. No, Being able to be see blind. yourself within an institution that is not trusted, that does not... I should be able to trust and respect but people a don't. black, that's, no, that's Asian or white officer 
in exactly the same that's way. Not how, that's not how people have been treated, and therefore that's how people don't feel about it. I, I never, I must say, I, if, if an Asian officer stopped me, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, thanks, you're Asian, I can really relate to you now. I just want to be treated with yeah. respect, and I want some crime solved, and I want to feel safe on the streets, right? And I don't want my car to be stolen. I mean, that would be helpful. I don't, ca I don't care about yeah, the skin colour of the police officer. That would be great, but unfortunately, that's not the reality that a lot of young, young people feel. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubry. A quick reminder as to who is keeping me company tonight. Pamana Assad, who's a Labour Party councillor. We've got former Brexit Party MEP and the CEO of First Property Group, Ben Habib, and columnist at the article and founder of the Contrarian Prize, Ali Mirage. Our conversation about the police rumbled on, so it did. Uh, the key point was all about how do you get young people uh, to better respond to the police? Is it by simply having a police officer that looks like them and sounds like them? Or do uh, the young people kids just need to get over themselves and just respect the authority that are the police. Let me know what you think to that. Um, Hamble says, we just need to recruit. Uh, no, so, sorry, you don't say that at all, Hamble. I'm putting words into your mouth. What you say is there's no need to recruit more people. We just need to reduce the amount of paperwork the current ones have to deal with. Mike says, where are all these new police? And they're certainly not in my uh, area. This one, he says, Mike, I think this is a bit controversial. You say the ones that I see seem to be, uh, I'll put it politely, uh, overweight, uh, that's not quite your words. Uh, so you say that you don't think, you wouldn't fancy their chances of being able to chase any criminals. Um, I shall make no comment on that one. Robert says, for me, it was over when the police took the knee, sent out completely the wrong message. Graham says, yes, we need uh, Bobby's on the beat, but the work college of policing needs a complete overhaul. Uh, Dennis says, my neighbour dialed 999 to report a burglary in progress. They told her to ring 101. Really? How random. That's completely the wrong advice, I would suggest. Um, Stuart says, the problem is not the police on the streets. The problem is the senior leadership who are more interested in political correctness and workery than policing. Hmm. Got to say, I agree with that sentiment. Right, let's move on, shall we? It's not a food bank, but apparently BT says it's set up a community pantry for its workers. Staff at the company can donate or help themselves to food. What do we think to this? Um... I'll start with you, Pamana. Have you seen the story? I've got to say, I find it very peculiar. Where do you sit? So I think that BT Group can try and dress this up as every way they'd like, but this to me is a, is a food bank. Um, I think that, you know, we need to look at BT CEO getting 2.2 million as a salary um, to take home and then basically refusing to increase the salaries of his employees. Um, What's wrong with a CEO responsible for 100,000 people, billions of pounds I mean, turnover, what does that say? salary in the millions? Well, what does that really say when your employees are struggling to put food on the table for their, for their families and you're taking away 2.2 million home? But I I how would that make you feel but Pamana, every day? Well, how, what how difference would, that, would it make why, if why he gave that up and divided 2.2 million ac across all his employees? It wouldn't make any... It wouldn't well, make a, I think that he needs it to, make a difference. to increase no, the wages of his no, employees. No, 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 no. You've, you're, you're, again, well, you've, I mean, we were just having wrong, a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, go, let me come, yeah. come to this point. Yeah. Why is Boris Johnson putting plans forward to try and lift the cap on profits that city bosses can take home. Why is why is that fair? Why is it okay for people to why have not? billions and millions? It is absolutely and some people to struggle in one of the richest countries but, in Europe. Pamana, you but don't. There's people who don't have food. You really don't. Bad? You don't solve the cost of living crisis what? by, by not sitting wages. By, by you don't solve the cost of living crisis by preventing the city from advancing its own business. No, by capping and. Now, you need to understand what the, what the policy is. 
It was a regulation introduced by the EU after the financial uh, crash in 2008, restricting bonuses to one-time salary or in certain circumstances to two-time salary. And the reason the EU did it is because it sits on the head of the city of London and it drove talent away from London to New York and Tokyo. If you want a thriving city, if you want a thriving city, we need to deregulate it. We need to take the fight to Frankfurt and Paris. This is a completely different debate. It's got nothing to do with the cost of living crisis. I think it and does. And I'm going to applaud Boris Johnson. I think it does. His well, timing. because you want to take home more millions. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not subject to this regulation. Okay, good. I'm not I'm subject to this regulation. Mark Gavel is poised. The way you solve the cost of living crisis is by reducing the cost of living. You don't do it by bankrupting companies, forcing them to put salaries yeah. up. And that's why I think the Conservatives got an economic problem. how are you going to solve the cost of living crisis? Well, I gave you, I, I told you exactly how we do it. When food we, prices are going up. We cut VAT, we cut VAT, we cut national insurance, we cut taxes, we we get off this net zero at 1.4 trillion. But we that put is money, not what the government is doing. But this, but this is, the, this is but, exactly the problem. The government is showing people that they only care about the rich and they don't care about the poor. They're cutting taxes for Pemana, the rich now, and, and the, the taxes Pemana, for the poor stay the same. I couldn't or agree increase. more. Okay. Right, well, we, okay, so I didn't yeah. <laughs> we are in agreement on that point. Ali, go on. Yeah, no, uh, look, I disagree. I do think the government's trying to do something. I think Rishi Sunak announced a 21 billion uh, and t targeted a lot of that uh, help to the poorest in society, the five to 10 million households that are poorest in society. What I would have done is not given the 400 pounds general grant to everyone in the country because I don't think everyone necessarily needs it. I think the, the I think an earlier point that Ben made when we were talking about uh, the, the, the travails of the Conservative Party was around the fact that there could be social unrest. Now, I'm a capitalist, right? I believe in a capitalist system. I believe in the profit motive. But a capitalist system presupposes that you have some capital economic, social, intellectual, educational capital. If you don't have any capital and you don't feel that you have a stake in the society, that is a problem. That is where revolutions happen. And what you're seeing right now is the end point we're reaching now where people feel that they don't have a stake in the society. If you've got a situation where 177 billionaires in the last year have accrued more wealth, another 10%, despite COVID on their thing, you've got 1% of the population with 13% of the income, the top 10% with 44% of the wealth. There's something wrong in society. Now, I'm not saying we need to have a serious conversation about how we handle this. No one's having it, right? And I'm a capitalist, right? I'm center-right guy. I'm not a socialist, right? But even I understand that if you don't tackle this problem, and I'm not saying that I'm in favor of inflationary pay rises. I'm saying it's a much deeper issue. It's a much it's deeper much issue. Deeper. But much if we deeper. don't have it, we are going to have a revolution. We've yeah. already had one on Brexit. Another one will be coming. You can see it now. People are not going to stand for this anymore. And on the timing of the bankers' bonuses thing, look, again, I'm all in favor of uh, deregulating it. However, something called timing and sensitivity. Yeah, I know. The optics. It's optics. Well, the optics the politicians. Are the optics These people are, are politicians. They know how it looks. Yeah. Come on. The optics are terrible. Awful. And, and, and Awful. at the same time as sitting on the RMT, they're granting pensioners 11% busting, you know. You see, it, that was wrong as well. Yeah, that the was 11%, wrong too. And I've been, and I've been criticized uh, 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 for saying this about pensions. Of course we care about pensioners, but not all pensioners are in the same position. It should be targeted to the poorest. And giving that break, when pensioners are not paying the 1.25% on national insurance, 
I mean, that's just not fair. Again, this leads to intergenerational yeah. resentment, unfairness. I, I just want to, I want, I want to develop what Ali's just said, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Develop it and super quick, then. We'll super mainland. quick. Capitalism broke down in 2008, 2009, when we started printing money. Because what we did then was bail out the people who created the problems that caused the financial crunch making them even richer than they were beforehand, and we devalued the pound in the back pocket of the working and middle classes. That's when capitalism got broken. And we've just done it again in spades. Last time we had an asset price um, boom, you know, asset prices going through the roof so people couldn't get on housing ladders and so on. Somehow the working and middle classes didn't get upset about that. But this time it's hit the consumer price index. So people can't buy eggs, bread and the rest of it. And, it's, and, and so it's much more immediate. I was on the picket line yesterday with RMT workers and I was- Dharma won't like that. I was gonna say, careful. Oh, public declaration for Mana. I mean, the photos out there, I, I support what they're doing. Um, I was speaking to one of them and I said, you know, how do you feel about this and um, what do you think is going to happen? And he just expressed to me that he thinks we've gone beyond the 1970s. You, you made a point that you think we're going back to the 1970s. He said, in the 1970s, we didn't even have food banks. Well, there you go. The 1970s, they didn't even have food banks. Now, they seem to be popping up absolutely everywhere. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks to my panel. Very much enjoyed the show. Thanks for your company at home. Have a good one. I'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>